Hey, you, you're into hockey up there in Toronto, right? Oh, yeah. I'm into hockey. I'm into, I'm into the Toronto Maple Leafs, actually. Yeah, um, I figured as much. Yeah, I got Steve DiGiorgio. I also have Gene Holton <laughs> on the show today. If you don't know who these guys are, they are the ultimate rhythm section, probably one of the best ones in the world. I really believe that. Um, and that's com- coming from a guy who who knows about music and, and, and has played music in bands and um, has studied it as well. So uh, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, these guys have played on in, on Testaments records. Um, they're also, um, they've been friends for quite some time. Uh, how's it going, everyone? Greetings, George. How are you, my man? I'm doing it, George. I'm doing great. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Steve, for joining me. I, I want to talk about how you guys first met. I know your, your history goes way back. Um, when did that happen? Um, Steve, do you want to start with that? Sure. I could. It's funny because Gene's known as this memory encyclopedia guy, but I seem to be the addendum to you know, help fill in his gaps. And I always remember the first part better. He, he could remember a million other things better, but... Um, so it was in San Francisco and Dark Angel was up playing a show and Sadis was the support band. And just like, you know, during show day in the afternoon, the, the, the earlier bands have to kind of sit in the audience section while the headliner arrives and does all their, you know, plugging in the PA and everything. And we're, we're sitting in this little group we had our girlfriends and our buddies that own trucks and everything. We're all sitting in our little group. And Gene walks up with a sadist cassette. And he's like, hello, are any of you John Allen? And we're like, oh, John's actually parking the truck. He'll be here in a couple minutes. Oh, hi, are you Steve? Our bass player that we're borrowing today, Dan Looker, has a girlfriend named Jennifer DeGiorgio. Just thought I'd tell you that. And he walks away. We're like, what the heck was that? And then, you know, the rest of the day we were – uh, hobnobbing with the Dark Angel guys, and you know, we watched their sound check, blown away, and then, you know, we played the show, and just I think that was the first time we really got to know those guys. I want to say that was probably '87, yeah, something like, yeah, yeah. probably 1987, something. because the cassette that the cassette that you're holding, Gene, we did that in late '86. Now sure. it's possible that it it could have been down towards '88, but I think. Uh, What's the one that came after we arrived? I think that album was already out. Darkness Descends. Yeah, that one came out in late 86, and I'm pretty sure that would have been like summer-ish of 87, I think, probably, something like yeah, that. Yeah, Darkness Descends. Yeah, dog. Can I forget that name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was cool, man, because, like, the way Dark Angel started their show, it was just, like, came out and they hit the low note and all, and just let the feedback, just this huge thunder rumble and jeans just mass standing up there against the backdrop and he's i don't know if he's holding the sticks in the air or something but he's just looking at everybody like i'm gonna crush all you and he's doing bass drums while he's standing there and john just looks at me all bright-eyed we were just loaded man we we're watching this going holy shit it was just like this we the place probably held about five to eight hundred i don't know it was the stone it was yeah, a pretty famous place slayer play their lot metallic everybody but it's not a super big place but we felt like we were in this arena or something oh, awesome. and uh, just people were roaring and the band was going gene stands there <laughs> ah it was cool we even knew it was uh, a friendship meant to be after that man because it was just balls out both bands we just i don't know we were both intent on playing as fast as you possibly fucking can yeah absolutely man. that was great <laughs> 
great times. Yeah. Did, he, did he miss anything, Gene? No, he, he got that pretty darn cool, you know. And just, <laughs> so, I mean, Sadus became one of our favorite bands, and, you know, we had Sadus playing with us a ton. And, and, and then, you know, Steve and I became pals then. All the Sadus guys, all awesome dudes, John, Alex, Derek. And, uh, and you know, when, when Human came out, I mean, that was such a ball-crushing record. And then I know that when – I'm fast-forwarding a few years – when I went out to start jamming what became the individual thought patterns record, uh, Chuck had this other basis that he had toured with. Stevie D had not been able to make that human tour. And so I was there when Chuck had gotten the call from you, Steve, that morning saying, yeah, it's, it's on, I'm coming out. He hadn't even told the other guy yet. The other guy showed up at the, at the door and, you know, he's got his bass in his head and Chuck's like, (laughs) sorry, bro, man, just, hit the highway and keep on a going. We got somebody else. <laughs> you know, Stevie D coming in. And then it was on from there, man. We were, we've been brothers ever since, man. Absolutely. That's amazing. I feel like that when you have a relationship with someone in that way, shape or form, it helps your band come together a bit better. If you're, if you're the rhythm section, right. Um, you guys probably know how to play off each other. Um, after all these years. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah we, <laughs> We could go into some nutty areas of rhythm <laughs> sectioning together back in the death days, especially when, you know, because Chuck was a very open-minded guy when it came to, like, for instance, me writing my, my drum parts. You know, I'm, I'm writing the, the most wackadoodle beats I could come up with. And Chuck was always like, dude, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I can jam along with everything you're playing. You're doing great. And when it would come to the live the live shows you know that's where stevie d and i would start like going off on some tangents and steve steve remembers better than i do like a time or two where chuck was kind of like hey guys i i love what you guys are doing but you might have to kind of yeah the stuff that me and gene wrote together was real integrated and uh not challenging but it was definitely kept our interest you know contained because it was to the riff but it was not the riff it was our own thing and so when we played our stuff we played it with convention conviction but we also had to play the back catalog which you know and i'm not saying this in a bad way but the material was a bit more simpler and that's when your attention can kind of wander and we got a little silly with stuff and we would throw in little fun accents and stuff and i just know that gene was always the most aware drummer I always knew because I would do this stuff whenever I would play for my own entertainment. And sometimes the drummer's clueless, just focused in playing his stuff and hitting all those spots. But every time I throw in something wacky for fun, I'd, I'd hear a little echo and like a little bell or a little drum rim or something. I'd look back and Gino always had played with dark glasses on back then. He had them on and he would tilt his head back and I could see his eye underneath the glass. He's looking at me like, yeah, huh? I know I'm right on top of you. And I go, yeah, what about that one? And he get that one too. I'm like, damn. And so we would start this little conversation within the song with each other, just because we knew what was going on. You know, it's like the riff is just chugging along like this. It's almost like a click track, this riff just so easy. So we're, um, we're reaching, you know, looking for the margins where to play around and stuff. And, and it, especially during the guitar solos, because then it was like, you know, you have two guitars playing the riff and it's pretty solid, but then one guy goes off and starts soloing and then 
I'm starting to expand, you know, starting to put fusion base on this part. And Gene's like, oh, I'm, I'm into the loosey-goosey. And he's following me. And, and the whole thing's starting to swerve. And, and it was fun. But uh, it wasn't like we didn't know, like it was a secret. But we just didn't put importance into uh, – Chuck would have cassettes being recorded at the soundboard. And then uh, we would go on the bus later in the night. And Chuck would say, okay, um – you know, on so-and-so song, I kind of lost my place during the solo. I couldn't I couldn't hear where to come back in. Can you guys, you know, keep it, you know, to where I could follow it? And we're like, mm-hmm, you're trying to play it off like the busted kids, you know, like, what are you talking about? Oh, here, let me show you. Turn around, push play, and we would start laughing because we'd hear this shit. We're like, oh, boy, man, we took that thing. So we would correct it. We'd play it nice and tight right there, you know, and Chuck would, like, give us the nod on stage. like, cool, you know, like like the boss would look over like, cool. Okay, great. And then that just made us like, okay, well, how about over here then? <laughs> so it, it was a fun adventure. And because of that little dialogue, you know, of taking the song and, and bending it without breaking it, I think we got used to each other's playing and that really helped us like lock in because if you can play solid enough to put it on autopilot and find, you know, a little, extracurricular then you know you're doing pretty good as a tight unit and so i think we kind of found a place doing that because i know in testament like everybody on stage wants the typical kick and snare kick and snare they just want the just the just the markers you know that's all they want to hear and and then i go up last and i'm always like hey give me the toms give me the overheads and and they're like why why do you want i go that's where all the all the vocalization is you know anybody could jump to do that, do that. but when you got when you got all the flavor and stuff, that's I'm I'm meandering in and out with them right there. So, yeah, we've we've found this connection, whether it was through screwing around or just being fucking top pros. I don't know. I think a mixture of both, probably. And, and it's cool because, you know, a song has its boundaries. Right. But once you get comfortable, it's like you can evolve it live. Right. It's got to be entertaining live. Right. And you, you want to keep yourself entertained, especially if you're playing the same thing over and over again on the tour right i'm sure you enjoy yeah. it but you guys get get a bit closer but um gene i want to ask you um the hardest recording session you've ever had what, what comes to mind well i would have to say not uh i, I would have to go right to brotherhood of the snake from from the testy man there um that was a challenging session um there were uh, you know, well i I know that I was I was super booked up until the session, and I know that Eric had Eric Peterson. He had written a ton of the record with Mister Alex Bent on drums, and Alex had played for Dragon Lord, and that was his drummer in Dragon Lord. And it was one of those things, you know. I've had Gene up a couple of times. We've worked on some stuff, but for the most part, Gene's just super busy. Alex, do you mind coming in and and you know laying down the demos and try to play as gene-esque as you can and alex is like i'm i'm all over that i can do that and it it created quite an issue by the time that we got to the recording because eric had kind of um had kind of come into a bit of demo itis mm-hmm. involving what he had heard and he's kind of like okay well 
that's cool. You're going to do this stuff over here, Gene, but I kind of want to hear what's on the demo. And I was, I was taking the tack of, wait a minute. You had a guy come in, copy the guy. And now you want the guy to copy what the guy was doing. You know, it was just like, why don't you just let me do me? And I'm going to give you a lot. You know, Alex is doing his best gene. If he had said, Alex, play Alex and you do that. You know, that would have been like a, a completely different situation. But since he had Alex copying Gene, then he wanted Gene to come in and copy Alex copying <laughs> Gene. That wasn't making much sense to me. Uh, but he was being relatively adamant. And we definitely butted heads. That was the most challenging recording session ever. And it's all been pretty well documented by Mr. Chuck Billy there. You know, he's like, Dude, we'll, <laughs> never, we'll never record an album like that again. And so when it came time for Titans of, of Creation, I booked off a lot of time just to make sure that I was there from the from the get go all the way to the recording. So we knew that there would be no miscommunications. It would all be, you know, this is all what we've been working on for the past few months. There's no surprises. There's no surprises on me. Like, no, I want that lick from the record. I mean, from the demo kind of thing. There was none of that. So it made Titans go a whole lot smoother. And so that was a challenging and musically to a degree. Yes. But it was just kind of the head budding that, that Eric and I were going through at the time. So um, we all got right through it. And, you know, I thought brotherhood of the snake was a darn kick-ass record. So, you know, the, the, the proof is in the pudding afterwards kind of thing. So. Absolutely. I fully agree with you. Um, you ever stepped in the studio where they had like MIDI samples ready for you to go to the copy or how, how does we do session work? Um, how does that work? Well, in, in that regard, it was Eric and Alex at Eric's place and Alex on the, uh, on the electronic drums that Eric has. And so it was Alex's actual playing, but you know, it was on electronic drums. And, and so it, it sounded good. I mean, the, the electronic drums were pretty darn decent. I mean, I still use them when we're doing demos for, you know, the, all the songs on, on Titans of Creation were recorded on that same little, you know, E-kit, electronic drum kit. But it, it, it runs the gamut. A lot of times I will be given straight uh, drum programming. That happens. And, and a lot of times it's from that Superior 2.0, you know, the, the Metal Foundry kind of thing, that which is a pretty popular uh, drum program. And a lot of times it's my own drumming that's on those files They'll use my files, call what they want out of my files and give my drumming back to me in demo <laughs> form. And it's chopped up and you can't really reckon. I don't recognize any of the beats. Like, oh, I remember laying this beat down at that session. No, it's, you know, you cut it up like you, like you, like you need to, to make the song come across. And so it, it, it runs the gamut. It definitely, a lot of times it's like, okay, we're going to rehearse from the ground up, you know. Boy, that is a fun chime going on in the background. That is a nutty ass chiming. Um, you can hear that. Yeah, oh, it's it, it's, such, it's so such such a calming thing. You know, you had such a a long day. We're just winding down and hanging out. It's uh, that is so far away. It's that right? digital thing where it picks up the farthest thing the loudest. I think. Yeah, right. right. You ever it's notice you're on your cell phone and you, and you got your mouth right next to the thing and someone's all, "What's that noise?" And it's a garbage truck like two blocks away. Yeah. You're like, 
That yeah, chime man. is like way out, but yeah, the wind's picking up. I wonder yeah. if I should run out there and choke it off. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's nice. It's calming, right? It's nice and calming. Hey, got all kinds cool of with it, George. All right. out there. I'm cool with it. I like the background noise. Uh, it may, may creep out a few people, but you know, it's late at night. <laughs> I got a little fair, fairy world out there. I got solar lights, chimes, everything, man. It's a cool place to hang out, but when the wind picks up, man, you want to run for cover. <laughs> I almost feel like if I were to step out in your backyard right now, like somebody would come after me with that, that wind chime going on back there. No, she's sleeping right now. She won't She won't get you. No dog, no <laughs> monster in the woods. <laughs> My guard dog, yeah. But, man, you know, I just wanted to expand on what Gene was saying about the electronic kit. He he did go up to Erickson and, you know, write his own demo to be played later by him and really in the studio. But that's nothing. I watched him write a whole album on an Alesis HR-16 uh-huh. drum machine. Okay. <laughs> we, <laughs> we went to Chuck's house in uh, – well, my daughter wasn't born, so early 94. Yeah. And uh, – Chuck had upgraded. The, the way Chuck used to make tapes was he had his uh, boom box there, and he would just put a little mic next to his cabinet, and he'd play his first guitar. Or, or actually what he would do was he would have his song prepared mentally and use a Casio, the internal drums of a Casio, just, just the simple beats, but he knew how to alter the tempo and add the fill button, and he made this really – just caveman based drum beat on a Casio record that into a boom box. And then he would take us like a second boom box. And so he pushed play on the first boom box. And then while that's playing the Casio beat and a rhythm, or maybe the Casio was live and he had a rhythm guitar on the cassette. And then he had the other one that you'd record his leads and stuff. And he had this whole just physical bouncing process of making our tapes. Well, by the time, uh, Gene was around and we were working on our our second album together. He had a nice multi-track cassette recorder in his garage and some mics and he was really upgraded, man. And I go out in the garage where he's got his stuff and I see this drum set stacked up in the corner like a music store would stack one up from from floor tom up to little tom and all the hardware laying there and I I thought we were going to set up and jam and Gene's in there on the couch with his drum machine and the headphones and He's, he's writing his drum beat on the little pads and unplug it, give the machine to Chuck. We'd go out, plug in stereo chords, let the whole drum beat go from start to finish. And then we would do bass and guitar on that. And boy, it worked out good. But it, to me, you know, those, those drum samples, they're very simple. So when something goes by fast, it sounds like, it sounds like you're just holding in the button, you know, it doesn't have that human feel. So some of it sounded super fake. And uh, Gene, what's the song? You know the the end. Oh yeah, yeah. Crystal Mountain. Crystal Mountain. The end. He wrote he wrote this part where the drums are just flying, and he's like doubling, like each hand is matching a foot on the whatever the splashes. It's just it's. And I just I made the mistake of doubting the man. That was my first lesson in life because I was like, no way you could play that. You should. You should program something. You should, you know, be able to play for real. Bob. Well, believe me, man. Fast forward years later, we're in DTA, and every time that part comes up on stage, he looks at me. I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> it's like, playing it for real, like it's nothing. But that was cool to watch, man. That was the first time. That was like drum machine inspiration for me because I never seen. He wrote the entire symbolic record on a drum machine, and incredible. That yeah, that's the whole point of the story. Is it's not 
lame drum machine. It's killer drum machine because it, his drum ideas are completely mental, you know, cerebral, I should say. Well, mental too, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he doesn't need to sit there and, oh, let me work it out. It's It just goes right from the brain, right into whatever. His hands, a machine. And uh, I went out and bought the same machine and to just for whatever I needed, riff writing or anything I needed around the house, all of a sudden I had a drummer in a box and I got a lesson from the master. But, you know, we were like, yeah, we were, I think we were in our mid twenties back. I mean, this is mid nineties, you know, so that kind of technology was about the standard. That was the status quo back then. You know, it wasn't like some, uh, you know, digging out old machines or something. That was pretty, that was what we were using. So that was pretty cool to see. I never, I never thought I'd see that. It was awesome. Isn't it awesome to to know now how much you've gone through? You have the drum machine now. You can actually probably just go on a computer, program it out, track it out, send it out. Um, technology's really helped a lot of musicians create their ideas and form them, right, and collaborate. Uh, yes and no. The help is, I guess, in the facility of it for sure. But, man, if, if you don't have the musical ideas to do on a real instrument, you're not going to have them on the little fakies either. So um, sometimes it's, it's limiting, you know, when, when a guy thinks he could become, you know, as close to a world-class drummer by program and shit. And then it, you get, it don't, don't let him get demoitis off of that, you know, cause then a real guy comes in with groove and feel and everything. And they're trying to match some previously programmed stuff. You know, they're doing that with bass a lot now too. I remember years ago there was a thing called Nano Bass. It was just a MIDI bass thing, and the, in, the songwriter would get so used to this MIDI bass being absolutely spot on, perfect every single attack. Especially in the speedy music we play, when you got a bass going like perfect, and then you give it to a human guy, man, that's a pain in the ass to live up to. You know, you just you nobody can play MIDI. You know, you just. So, um, yeah, it's good and bad, just, I guess, like anything, really. The, the tool is only in the hand of the, of the user. So, I guess, yeah, it's, it's a loaded question. Yeah, it does help people having technology, but if you don't have the musical ideas, it'll hurt you. I, I fully agree with you. Gene, how do you stay so, uh, I mean, obviously, playing the music that you do, the longevity of a drummer, um, playing that kind of music, like, constantly like Lars Ulrich uh, mentioned in the past that, you know, maybe one day he's going to step out and have somebody else replace him because drumming takes a big toll on your body. And so does playing bass at some point, if you're playing like super fast riffs and stuff, how do you guys stay fit or like, what's your secret for your longevity of your career? Well, um, a number of years ago, I decided to start losing a whole ton of weight. You know, I had gotten up to 410 pounds and so that was part of my weight loss regimen is the cardio that I get from drums. And I've always utilized drums as, as a pretty amazing exercise. And so now I've just kind of ramped that up in terms of, you know, I've, I've now lost 180 something pounds. Congratulations. Since, since I got, Oh, thank you very much. Um, and these days I'm like, Currently in 2020, 2021, I keep my chops up, but I do a, a live stream pretty much daily. Um, and I, I just take requests and just bash out a bunch of songs. And every once in a while, I'll put a, a theme together where I'm like, today's a cardio day, everybody. I'm playing all the fast hauling death numbers, strapping, 
death clock kind of stuff where all the double bass is hauling because I want to get a good cardio win. And that's how I'm keeping my chops up. But a few years ago, I decided that it's like I'm going to be doing this brutal metal drumming, brutal psychotic drumming deep into my 70s. No problem. And so that's where I figured, okay. You know, back when I was like an extra 40 pounds more, like in the 260s kind of thing, I was I was thinking, well, at you know, I'm age, I'm in my early 50s. I can get away with this kind of carriage that I have, the other kind of body size that I have right now playing this stuff. But I figured maybe in, when I'm in my 70s, I will need to be slimmer, trimmer, more cut, more ripped sort of thing. And, you know, a few years ago when I'm when I'm putting all this concept together i felt i don't know 27 kind of thing i felt really really young you know bouncing out of chairs just springing my step and then i figured that say when i get to like say age 72 and i'm gonna be cut and ripped and just i'm not saying yoked out like a human but definitely in a lot better shape than i am now i figured maybe i'll even feel like i'm 22 you know because I do not feel like I'm in my fifties at all, you know? Um, so that's part of, and another thing I've always, I've, myself, I've always stuck with is uh, I always make sure that I stretch really well. A lot of drummers don't stretch. A lot of drummers don't um, utilize their, their capacities for, you know, like you got to get like, a man like Mr. Dave Lombardo, he does not stretch or warm up one iota. The first downbeat of the set, that's kind of the first time he's played drums all day. And, I mean, God, Steve's played with, with, with Dave a number of times, you know, on the, on the old Gathering record. I always thought that was fascinating, but I thought that might be potentially terrifying for your body later. You know, I don't, I don't have tendonitis issues i don't have you know uh, these days with the amount of drumming that i've been doing i have to be careful but you know as long as i stretch and do a little bit of warming up like the actual warming up doesn't matter but the stretching is very important and i've got my stretching little routine down it takes about maybe a minute at the most so i can get that done pretty quick but that is something that is very important for me to to for my longevity you know because i don't want to have tendonitis issues or stuff breaking down on me so so there you go that's what i try to do uh steve how do you keep your career going man how much do you practice uh, how do you stay young no idea <laughs> I, I i don't really have any kind of routine or nothing um i don't know just I guess I'm just pushing the natural gift, I guess, kind of like Lombardo. <laughs> hey, you know what? Just going into a show and not warming up, you do warm up, obviously, right? Um, no? No. Wow. Actually, me and Gene are the only guys in the band that don't warm up. Eric's playing guitar an hour, mostly in the bus before the show. Alex is warming up six hours prior to the show, mostly to keep himself occupied writing mm -hmm. new material and stuff, but he's playing all day long. And then Chuck has a little timer that'll tell him like, Oh, he's up 90 minutes before gig. And he'll do his Chuck actually. Yeah. I think it's imperative for him to warm up for, cause of the vocal thing. He doesn't enjoy it, but I know he needs he, in his mind, he has to do it. But, um, I mean, Gene will roll right out of the sack and come in there and 
uh, yeah, I see him do his little stretches, you know, little ten, little articulate stretches, but nobody's on the ground doing yoga or anything. I'm just, I'd basically just make a cold drink and just talk about it. I mean, probably a lot of stuff we're talking about now until stage time. So, no, actually, no warm-up, no practice, no rehearsal. We just kind of, I don't know. We, we, we talk about uh, practice and rehearsal. Uh, one of my favorite records, we're talking about this off the air, um, Roadrunner United's record. You were in oh, yeah. a constitution down. How many times did you practice that riff? That riff? Yeah. Uh, that, the, the song, Constitution Down, on Roadrunner United's record. I have no idea. I think most of that stuff we just... Yeah. We just learned right there in the studio. And once you grasp it mentally, then it's just about playing it over and over till you get a take. It, it was an interesting um, collaboration among amongst artists, right? Um, obviously, you had the, the opportunity to be part of it. I don't think I can play that, that bass riff, even if I practice for 20 years. Um, oh, the one that's on the, the DVD thing where... Yeah, that was a fun... Yeah, that's a pretty speedy riff. It goes all the way up and down the neck and stuff. I remember Joey Jordan's had got a kick out of that. He um, He had kind of I think he pre-demoed everything or something. Joey's pretty good multi-instrumentalist. You know, he's pretty good on everything. So his, he had like a proper picking, like Gene, the same way, like drummers that don't just look awkward. Like I know notes, you know, they actually hold the thing right and play right. And he was pretty good on bass. And so I think he had, had the guitar doing this techie thing and the bass was just following the root. And it wasn't it, – it kind of – honestly, it looks a little faster than I think it was to do for me. So I just asked Joey if, you know, hey, do you mind if I kind of get off that boring route and just – you know, it's it's so fast and chaotic. There's really nothing different to do with it. But I guess to be different from the bass point of view, joining the riff was, was different enough. So I just learned the guitar riff and it, I don't know. He just – we were – kind of fooling around on roadrunners dime in those days and he just he didn't think i could pull it off you know and so not only did i you know play this crazy guitar riff but you know we had a film crew in there it's you know some guys don't like to have the red light go on in the studio when there's people there watching or something um i can handle the distraction so you know so not only did i pull off this fast riff but there's a film crew and there's you know rob barrett's over on the side and and um What's the DeVries, Matt DeVries over there? He's a he's a real hoop to be around. Still one of Gene's words. So it was kind of like the peanut gallery. And it was uh, it was fun. We had a lot of goofing around to do on that video. So, yeah, super fast lick. I, I was researching death um, for a couple days before this. Um, and obviously I've heard them on the radio. I've had the cassette. Um you know, 1987, the Screaming Bloody Gore record. Um, you know, they, they, that band was an awesome trendsetter to, to enable bands to kind of move forward, um, especially 1993. I, I found the Philosopher video, made it to MTV. You guys are part of the group at that time, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty big. That's pretty big stuff. But you guys remember uh, tracking the individual thought patterns? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was, that was my first time um, kind of venturing outside of, of the Dark Angel realm for me. I think that was about my fourth album, maybe, that I'd ever recorded myself. So, um, 
but yeah, you know, Chuck and I had gotten together. Uh, we put that whole record together in about three weeks. And I remember Stevie D came out and was that the time you had a broken figure? No, that was later on. And, but I remember you had come out, done a little bit of jamming with us. And then I think I tracked the drums and I think that's when Steve, you had the fantastic, very intelligent idea to like, Hey man, let me take these drums home. Let me work out some stuff with them. And rather than just bash all my stuff out and give you, you know, give you the a kind of stuff, but give me some time that I can sit with this stuff. That's what like, that is the most musical bass driven metal record that I could think of at the time, you know, cause that's, that, that's the one thing that I've always loved about Steve's playing is it's okay. He's got all the technical chops. No doubt of that. All of those in spades and, you know, can do all the shreddy stuff. But the thing where I think Steve excels over just about everybody in the, in the musical realm is the way he writes and constructs his bass lines. They are so musical and they are so buffering to the song. Of course, in metal so many times it's like whatever the root note is you just kind of chunk on the root and you get to do a couple little licks at the end of the phrase kind of thing but steve will you know it was a baseline rhythm section construction from uh, that that not only buffered but added to the songs so much you know like you take a song like in human form, you know, a lot of the bass lines that, that Steve's doing in that is they are, you know, counter melodic and effing awesome, you know, because they're so musical and the way they're played, the way they're placed, it, it, that, that's that's the thing that excited me so much about Steve's play and still does. Uh, absolutely. See, I, I told you he was aware. He knows all that stuff. There's not many drummers that even care about that stuff sometimes, so. I think that's another thing that inspires me is I know this guy's got my back instead of fighting for space and decibels. I mean, we work good together, but I got to say that that kind of uh, base storytelling and stuff, that's not possible if you're just doing do that, do that, do that, do that. I mean, there's not a lot of options to cruise around and that. So these base ideas and stuff are just the mortar linking the two bricks together. I mean, you, you know, and that's why I wanted to take that stuff home because me and Sean had a couple weeks to work out that stuff and went into the studio prepared. But on that one, I remember I came in just, you guys had written almost everything. And it was just, I think it was, I think four or five rehearsals in Chuck's mom's garage we had, and then we had to go to the studio. So I had time to learn it. Yeah. But to really get in and write that stuff, Absolutely. You know, it would have been a little bit too rushed and maybe forgotten. You know, a lot of that stuff wouldn't have happened if it had to be, you know, right there. So taking Gene's drums home while the guitar was being recorded and getting into it. And then that was it was kind of reverse. It was like then I was preparing, you know, the link of the melodic drums with the, you know, the bass going along with it and then go back to Florida and and slap it down right before the mix. That was, it, it turned, like Gene said, it, it turned out much better. It made more sense. Then these, these bass meanderings became bass lines and, you know, they were more adhesive to everything, but boy, because I had time to really craft stuff, it, it threw, it, Scott Burns was the engineer. It threw him for a loop, man. He did not know what to make of this 
because he's he was so used to having you know the paint by numbers guy come in and just just do the the ordinary and here i am just cruising you know and he's just like uh, i remember that that remote con- the the button box for the tape machine was on wheels i remember him pushing that thing so many times to slide it out so he could go fly off into the lounge and cool down for a few minutes i remember anytime one of those wheels is going to lock and that thing's just going to teeter over and crash but it was cool because chuck would be in that lounge uh you know finishing up lyrics writing his little scribbly pages and stuff and and he was the great arbitrator you know and also his fucking music too so when scott would just have it like oh my god i cannot do this fucking hot lick based craziness anymore chuck get in here what do you think it nine times out of ten chuck would be sit there and listen you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then it would end and he'd go god carry on and he would walk out and scott would be like oh my god okay click go you know <laughs> and so sometimes he had to just shut up and deal with it and then once in a while there was something where chuck would try to keep the peace between me and scott and he would say um well it's it's a little bit kooky there can you you know maybe you know only do it a couple times instead of all four or maybe you know do it easy in the beginning of the song come back at the end and let it you know and there was some compromise there and um but yeah it was it was an engineer's nightmare to hear that stuff because he he thought it was this he just called it back then there were the the cassettes you could buy the vhs cassettes called hot licks and Ingve made one billy sheehan Stuart ham you know all that you could you could buy the hot lick series and learn how to do the tricks of the of the pros you know so he was calling the session the hot licks because the bass is all over but <laughs> i had time to go home like gene said and analyze what he was doing rhythmically and turn that rhythmic pulse and place the notes of the riff on each of those things and just create this kind of, you know, swirly bass line. And to me, it made sense. That was the purpose for playing that stuff. It was to link the drums and guitar. And it was, it was the percussion of the drums, you know, manifested in the notes of the riff. And it was this great adhesive in the middle. And Scott was like, no, no, it's too crazy. Simplify it. But uh, most of it got through and on, on tape, I, I, I would record some of my practice run-throughs at home before I went back to Florida to record it. And I'm dying to find that tape because this, that's like the raw, you know, like the baseline's coming to life there. And I'm, it's like probably about 200% more of what made it on the album. I was always trying to find that thing and show Gene, just have him go like, oh, man, this is a different. <laughs> the cool thing is, is that like you did your job. You, you didn't just phone it in, right? I mean, you just went home, you did your research, you sat there. You figured it out, and it came out the way, you know, it is now, which is great. I mean, um, that's what I like. It's like you, you, you thought about it. You sat there. You, you meshed it out. You didn't just like just play whatever they wanted you to play, right? The story you played it. So I mean, that's awesome, man. Like, that's an awesome achievement. Like, Death is a wicked band. I don't know if people who are listening right now should go out there and and, and check out this band. Like, if you haven't heard of Death. <laughs> Go check and like there's multiple records, but you will enjoy it. if you like death metal or just want to wake up in the morning and just blast it with your coffee, man. Um, <laughs> well, what, what's going on with Testament? I know it's kind of been a, a bit of a downtime right now. What's going on with that band? Gene? Well, boy, that's, that is a, 
that's a good question. You know, I mean, uh-huh. there, there are, there obviously with all the, you know, COVID things that are going on, you know, a lot of things had to be suspended. I know the band had, you know, as they do every year, had 2020 booked pretty darn solidly. And so now we're deep into 2021 and not quite sure what the exact plan is. And some of the plans, it seems like it is contingent upon some other things falling into place, like with the other bands we intend to, Testament intends to tour with. Um, you all got to make sure that they're available kind of thing. Uh, but the last that I've heard was from Mr. Eric Peterson. He was mentioning, you know, he called me up a couple weeks back and I'm, you know, he's in touch with TVD on this too. Uh, you know, pr- potentially coming down to San Diego for, that's where, that's where I'm based out of, coming down to my jam space here. That's where, that's where we're at at the moment. Um, and you know, just he, I think Eric just wants to get together like with, with his buds from his band and do some jamming and just, you know, it's like, we're, I'm not sure if Eric gets to do, do the amount of playing that I've been doing, or probably Stevie D is involved in, you know, I'm sure Steve is playing tons and, and sessions and all that sort of stuff all over the place. And I'm doing a bunch of sessions too, but, um, you know, Eric, I don't think has gotten the, the chance to you know, get together and jam with some people. So, you know, perhaps that's what Eric's looking for. I think he just wants to, you know, maybe, maybe he's trying, maybe he's looking to, uh, to get some new writing going. And this is a good way to juice some ideas for him. And I'm, I'm, I have no doubt he probably has, you know, an idea or three together. It's like, wants to throw it out for, for his rhythm section, maybe, you know, and like, work on some stuff here and there. I'm, I'm, I'm game for it all. You know, we we ain't got nothing else to do, really. So, you know, it's like if Eric wants to come down, bring Stevie D down, I'm, well, I'm all for that. Darn tootin'. And we'll see how that goes. You know, we'll see if that if that comes to fruition because there has been a time or two in the past when Eric's like, I got this plan. We're going to do this. And then the phone goes silent for two or three months. So, you know, it happens. You guys should rebuttal and come to him with a few tracks just full of blast beats and stuff like that and see yeah, if you like it. probably love it. Yeah. That's one thing the three of us come together on quite often is the brutality of things. We're kind of fighting the jazz lord and the and the vocal man sometimes on which songs to put in the set because we're we're into the the balls out stuff and so yeah if we if we brought some some uh, brutality apocalyptic rhythms Eric could be all about it but you know it's got to be good for all five. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so go ahead, Gene. Go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm agreeing with Steve. Indeed, man. Yeah, <laughs> There are five folks weighing in on that. And, you know, three tend to drift towards the, the that. And yeah, indeed, that's how it kind of works. Got to make everybody happy. I understand. It's so hard when you're so into playing heavy music to kind of, I know like with a few friends, like we, we've been playing together our whole lives and, we like the heavy music, but we come up with like a mellow riff that ends up being, or you start a band where it's like, Hey, it's really chill. And all of a sudden you're playing really heavy music again. Right. You just keep going back to it. I have a feeling the next Testament record is going to be really heavy. I'm just putting it out there. I'd like, I would like that. Um, I, 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 I couldn't disagree with that, you know, cause I know I'm, I'm always pushing Eric towards the heavier, you know, like, uh, you know, I've, I've crabbed enough about, you know, when a, when a ballad makes its way into the, 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 
you know, the proposed set list. Like, you know, everybody's got a list of a bunch of songs. And when I see the ballads on there and I'm like, can't we play, you know, like Fall of Dome and her <laughs> game and just I'm, I'm all about the brutality live. I've, I've always liked that, you know, uh, Testament came out as a thrash band. I love thrash and I, why not be the most aggressive kick ass band? You got a really awesome lineup of musicians together that can go any way you want. It, it's just, just, just my personal preference. I love going heavy. You know, it's like, I'm okay if we don't play some of the radio esque kind of uh, feels live, you know, if you want to opt out the kind of radio sort of approach for the, you know, that, I'm all about that. Always. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I would definitely like to hear heavier music, man. I, I'm always, uh, I'm always trying to see what's what what else is coming out next, right? What, what, what's the next big uh, heavy heavy band, heavy metal band, next big band in general? Any any one of you have uh, your eyes on another band you're listening to right now? Anybody new coming up? As for new, this band is not very new, but I remember telling these guys this. 11 years ago when we were on tour together and that band is Gojira. I told you, yeah. you guys are going like, just keep doing what you are doing. We were on tour. I was in fear factory at the time and we were both on tour with Metallica at the time. And I remember telling them, you know, telling Joseph that, look, you guys are in the absolutely wonderful like little area right here where you could go any way with your music but as a fan of your band i would strongly suggest don't listen to anybody other than the four guys in the band you know or whoever the main like just keep following your path and i see you guys becoming the next metallica and and I, I explained that this might not be in terms of, you know, size and multimillionaire, this kind of thing and that, you know, planes and, and stuff like that. Um, however, Metallica always like even through the era where they lost, you know, lost a lot of fans, maybe lost some respect from the old hardcores or whatever. They always they, they were able to maintain that the respect of the majority of people of in terms of Metallica is a band that they've always done what they wanted. They never, you know, I'm assuming a song like no one else matters came from a place that they wanted to write that song. It wasn't a record label person leaning, you know, breathing down their neck saying, you guys got to have a radio hit. I don't think it was anything like that. Um, but, you know, Gojira, if you guys just keep on your path, just do your thing, you will be the next Metallica in terms of the full-on respect that everybody's going to have for you. I don't see you guys ever turning into a radio band. You guys are too damn not pretty to be on videos and, and making, making big-time radio songs. So if you guys just, you know, carry on with what you're doing you know, don't, don't listen to anybody else. There you go. I mean, I, I tend to, you know, I, I still pay attention to a whole lot of, a whole lot of metal, you know, like, God, I love the band Alien Weaponry. I think they're great. I love Revocation. I think they're great. I like anybody who's tasty and, you know, Revocation, definitely leaning on the side of the more metallic, like the, you know, quasi death metal kind of thing. 
but they're tasty. You know, the riffs are good. It's not just for the sake of it. They, you know, they, they spend some time on their riffs. They spend some time on their arrangement. So, you know, keeping, keeping one's ear open, it's hard to get excited. It's hard for like when there's the new darling band that's, I listen to a lot of Sirius XM, you know, the, the liquid metal and stuff like that. And when there's a super new band on there, that's like, this is the new boy, these band, this band is just out there doing it. They're holding the flag of metal. A lot of times it's like, well, I've heard every approach from this band a million times already, but I go back a long way. You know, a lot of bands that wear their influences on their sleeves these days, they don't, their, their, their audience has no idea who they got every single one of their ideas from. And that's just the way it goes, you know, like nobody knew the Beatles were ripping off Chuck Berry kind of thing at the time, you know, or whatever, you know, that's you wear your influences on your sleeve and you can get away with a lot because your audience doesn't know your influences. So they think you're the progenitor of this style that happens definitely in metal. So so there you go. There's a bunch of kick ass bands coming out. Totally. I absolutely agree with you. I think the new God Jeer record is actually very good. It's awesome. I don't know if you heard it, yeah, but it's it's wicked. Um, Amazonia is an awesome track. Excellent. Um, yeah, definitely have to check into some of it. You'll honestly, I I would fully agree with you that they're going to be like the next Metallica. I think that band. You know, they 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 bring people to the arena. I've seen them three or four times. Yeah, they're not the the, the headliner, but they're getting there. Right. Every time Absolutely. I see them, opening band, second band, third band. What's next? headlining and then that's how you bring in new new bands and 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 bring other fans back you know to headline with you guys i want to thank you so much um it's been awesome um gene hoagland steve DiGiorgio. you might recognize him from testament um also their stint in death and uh, lots of other great awesome um collaborations and other bands as well thanks a lot guys thanks Thanks for having us appreciate it brother